Well, let's come to the word of the Lord this morning. I encourage you to take your Bibles out, open to the book of First Samuel as we continue our look at the life of Samuel. As we come here to chapter 3 of First Samuel, it's a story that is often taught in Sunday school. It's often taught in children's church, at Awana, all those places. But as I thought about it this week, I realized it's rarely taught in big church. But it should be. There are great lessons for young people here, but there are also great lessons here for us older folks as well. And so um, all of us, I hope, will benefit this morning from our lesson here in, in 1 Samuel 3. You know, the stories in the Old Testament are not just here to give us some historical background of our faith. Nor are they here just for our entertainment because they're great stories. They are great stories. But the purpose of them, as Paul points out in Romans chapter 15, he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. These stories are here to teach us, they are to instruct us, to warn us of dangers, and they are also here to encourage us that we might have hope. So I trust that that will be the end result of our time this morning in the Word. These accounts in the Old Testament are history, but they are also instructive. Here in chapter 3, as we watch God raising up young Samuel and preparing him for to be used mightily by God, my aim this morning is for us to note seven characteristics that Samuel exhibits that are essential and that enable someone to be used mightily by God. So in other words, if it's your desire to serve the Lord, if it's your desire to be used greatly by God, we want to pay attention to these seven characteristics and aspire to them. We begin with verse 1, chapter 3. Follow along as I, as I read. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. As this chapter begins, we don't know for sure how old young Samuel is. It says here he's a boy, which can be anything from about 10 years old to about 20 years old. Jewish tradition says he was 12, but we don't know for sure. What I do notice as I look here, the first characteristic that I see in Samuel, just in this first verse, is I realize that Samuel was devoted to God. I see it manifested three different ways in the text, and especially as we look back to last week. Last week, Pastor Aaron did an excellent job in chapter 2 as we as we looked primarily at Eli and his sons, the the priests who were, were sinning very grievously. And that was the main theme of last week, but we're going to look back a little bit because there's something to notice in Samuel. 
But and we notice here in verse one of chapter three, it says the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. He was serving the Lord. It's not a minor point because it's stated three times in the text here in verse one, but also last week twice in the passage we looked at last week. Look back in chapter two at verse eleven, where it says. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. It's exactly the same phrase that we saw in verse 1. Then you look down a few more verses from from that verse uh, 11 in chapter 2 down to verse 18. And it says again, Samuel was ministering before the Lord a boy clothed with a linen ephod. What that means is the linen ephod is the dress of a priest. And so Samuel is dressed in his junior priest outfit. And he is ministering to the Lord. He's serving the Lord there. And the the point in chapter 2 was to draw stark contrast between faithful Samuel who's serving faithfully and these unfaithful priests, Phineas and Hophni. They were taking from people and taking from God, ministering to themselves, not ministering to God. But Samuel is faithful serving God and not himself. That's the point. Samuel served God faithfully. The second thing that lets me see that Samuel is devoted to God is that he had a relationship with God. It doesn't come out and say it so plainly in our text, but Samuel wasn't just going through going through his duties, doing his job, you know, just going through the motions like we often do when we serve God. You know, we go and we do Sunday school. We teach here. We do that. We, we do this other thing. We go through the motions. But that wasn't what Samuel was doing. It's interesting. In verse 21 of chapter 2, it says this in our text, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. That really doesn't get, I think, the, the gist of it which uh, Robert Young, in his classic Young's Literal Translation, I think really grabs the point of that, where he says this, and the youth Samuel groweth up with Jehovah. Now, in the text we read a moment ago, it doesn't say Jehovah, it says Lord. And most of you know, if you've been studying the Bible very long, when it says Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's standing for the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah. But the point that he makes, that, that Young makes in his translation, is that word, growing in the presence of the Lord as he's growing with the Lord. That gets the aspect there of relationship. Samuel isn't just going through the motions. And he's not just growing up in church. You know, you can grow up in church and not know the Lord. Just like you can be in a garage and not be a car. Or you can swim in the sea but not be a fish. But Samuel is growing up not just in the church, he's growing up with the Lord. There's a relationship there. He has a relationship with God. The third reason that I know that Samuel is devoted to the Lord is because not only does Samuel have a heart for God, but God has a heart for Samuel. We see it back again in chapter 2 down in verse 26. The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. God 
places his stamp of approval on Samuel. God is pleased with Samuel. Samuel has a heart for God and the feeling is mutual. God has a heart for Samuel. Samuel is devoted to the Lord. Now, by the way, if God is pleased with Samuel, it raises a question in my mind, and it ought to in yours. If Samuel is a good model for us and we want to be like Samuel, how is it that we can grow in favor with God? How is it that God, we can have God pleased with us? I pondered that question this week and I came up with actually a a lot of answers, but I narrowed it down to just one that I think says it most succinctly from Scripture. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 says this, Walk or live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, it says there to walk in in a manner that pleases God And then it defines what pleasing God looks like. It's bearing fruit in every good work. In other words, it's doing and focusing on doing what is good and also focusing, the second part, in getting to know God better, increasing in the knowledge of God. If you want to please God in your life, if you're you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to please God, focus on those two things. Doing good, whatever good it is God puts before you, Doing what's right and focus on getting to know Him better. That's pleasing to God. Every one of us, by the way, should be devoted to God. We should be looking to live in a way that pleases Him. We should be serious about following Him. But something I think that we should not miss in this text is that we should never underestimate what God can do in and through young people. There's a tendency sometimes when you're young to think, man, you know, there's nothing I can really do that pleases God. There's nothing really I can really do that's significant for God. Don't you ever believe that? And sometimes older people tend to look kind of down on young people, and we shouldn't. Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. God has often worked very mightily through young people. I think of David, who God was working mightily through him even as a young guy. As he was tending sheep, he's writing psalms of praise to God. He had a big heart for God as a young man. I think of, uh, I think of Josiah, who became king of Judah at eight years old, and he was a very godly king in a very wicked time. I think of Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, taken captive by the Babylonians to uh, Babylon. There in the midst of a godless place, those four young guys stood strong for God. And of course, Daniel, uh, all three of them impacted the place immensely, but Daniel especially, as he became number two in command in that country under three different administrations. There are more. I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, very young when she gives birth to Christ. We can go on, but the point is, God often works very mightily through young people. So young people aim to have a big heart for God. There's another little phrase in that first verse. 
that I, where I notice something significant about young Samuel. And it's notice that little phrase, in the presence of Eli. It says that the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. That phrase, in the presence of, here, has the connotation of under the supervision of, in the, under the eyesight of. It means under the authority of. Some of the translations translate this as he served under Eli. In other words, he is under Eli's authority and Samuel submits to Eli's authority. The reality is most every one of us, I won't say every one of us because somebody here probably doesn't, but most of us have a problem from time to time with submitting to authority. Right? Especially when it's authority that we disagree with in some way or other. Or especially if it's authority that is flawed or that's just flat out wrong or that is corrupt. We have a problem submitting to that authority, don't we? Honoring and respecting that authority. Eli, as we saw last week and we'll see again in the passage this morning, Eli has some great flaws. And have you noticed the more time you spend with someone, the more you notice their flaws? When you live with them, their flaws become apparent. Or if you're a kid, the flaws are your parents, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) the flaws become very noticeable when we live with someone or when we work with them. You spend time in the office eight hours a day, five days a week or six days a week or however long, and you get to know this person's flaws. Well, Samuel lives and works with Eli. He knew Eli's flaws and failings and shortcomings very, very well. And yet, he serves under Eli, in submission to Eli. As we'll see in a few moments, he treats Eli with nothing but respect and compassion. And as we read back in chapter 2, verse 26, Samuel grew up in favor with God and with men. Samuel is, fits in that category of men. And couldn't say that if that Samuel was growing up in favor with men if he wasn't in favor with Eli. And if, if Samuel was rebellious, if he was contentious, if he was difficult, he wouldn't have Eli's favor. But Eli, obviously, through all of this, is attached to young Samuel. And Samuel is attached to Eli. God calls for every one of us, brothers and sisters, to respect and to submit to authorities that are over us. Whether the authority is in our home, whether the authority is in our school, whether the authority is in our workplace, whether it is in our government, locally, nationally, Even the government in the church, the elders of the church, we are supposed to submit to whatever authorities we are under. You can find that. We won't take the time to go there, but you can find that. 1 Peter chapter 2. You can go to the book of Romans chapter 13 and it's there. We are to obey authority unless the authority contradicts the command of God. We are clearly supposed to obey God, the higher authority, and instead of, in that case, the lower authority. 
But the Bible never gives us an excuse to not even be res- to not be respectful, even when we have to say to the lower authority, "We must obey God rather than you." In this, we do it respectfully. We see that characteristic in Samuel, and that is an important characteristic for any one of us who want to be used by God. It's an important characteristic. The last phrase of that first verse just sets the stage, helps set the stage for what's about to happen with Samuel. Why it's so significant. As it says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. The word of God is rare. What it's saying is that, uh, by the way, in, in those days, the word of God was at that point only the first five books of our Bible. The law of Moses, the Torah. And that was written down, but everybody didn't have a copy. We're so spoiled in our world. We all have copies of the Word of God, and most of us have, you know, multiple copies. And we've got it not only in print, we've got it digitally, and we've got it where we can listen to it, uh, you know, in MP3s or whatever. And we've, um, we have so much access to the Word of God. In that day and time, the only copies were handwritten, and, and they were few and far between, and so... What God did in His wisdom, and we saw two weeks ago when His background for this, that about 400 years before this, when the Israelites came into the land, every tribe got a little state, they got a little county, they got their own piece of the land, except for the the Levites, the priests and the Levites. And they got cities in each of the different areas, and their job, their role was to be representatives of God there, to teach the people the law the commandments, the Word of God. The problem is that over that next 400 years, they didn't do a very good job. There were some who were faithful, I'm sure, doing that, but by and large, it wasn't being done. That's a problem. There's a famine, there's a shortage of the Word of God among the people. Also, God is only rarely speaking through prophecy. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel, are starving spiritually is the point that God is intervening now in this young boy. We pick up the story again at verse 2. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he, that's Eli, said, I did not call. Lie down again. And so he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he, that's Eli, said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, this is taking place in the tabernacle. Samuel is sleeping in, it says, inside the tabernacle 
in the holy place. The tabernacle, the first section there, has three articles of furniture in it. It has the altar of incense at the back, and it has the golden lampstand, and it has the, uh, the table of showbread. Those three things. And, and Samuel is sleeping in there. Eli is sleeping, it says, in his own room. He must have a room that's built just to the outside of the, the sanctuary there. And we know that it is in the wee hours of the morning because it says the lamp, the great menorah that's there, had not yet gone out. And it was designed, and, and, and the, the commandment of God was it was supposed to be burning, supposed to be lit from evening, before it gets dark, it's supposed to be lit and supposed to burn all night long until the morning. And that's probably why Samuel is in there. One of his jobs is to make sure that nothing goes wrong and it stays lit all night long. But Samuel is there, he's sleeping, and he doesn't know it's God. We know it is because we've been able to read, you know, we know the end of the story. But God calls, Samuel! And what does Samuel do? Notice that he, notice how quickly and how tenderly he responds. He gets up immediately and he runs, the text says, to Eli. And he places himself at Eli's service. Here I am, for you called me. What do you want? You need a drink of water? Eli, remember, is he can't see. So he's blind, so he's, can I get you a drink of water? You know, do you need help to the restroom? What is it you need to do for this elderly man who's there? He's so quick and tender. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. He falls asleep, and then again he's woken up. Samuel. He gets up and he runs to Eli again. Eli, here I am, for you called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Three times we saw, and every time Samuel's response is the same. Now, if you don't find that remarkable, you haven't thought. If you've ever been a young teenager, or if you have raised a young teenager, what happens when you wake up a young teenager in the middle of the night? They don't come running saying, Oh, Mother dearest, what do you need? Oh, Father, how can I serve you? First of all, they don't run out of bed. You have to drag them out, right? Right, kids? <laughs> and you're not happy. <laughs> you know what? That, that tells me something about Samuel. What it says is that Samuel is a selfless servant. He served Eli without regard to his own feelings, his own desires. I'm sure Samuel was tired. I'm sure he wanted to sleep. I'm sure he really didn't want to help. But he doesn't he puts his feelings aside and goes and serves Samuel. I think that's remarkable. It's remarkable, but it is what we are all supposed to do. Philippians chapter 2, you'll recall, it says there that we are to regard others as more important than ourselves, doesn't it? That's a tough one. 
But it's how we are to treat everyone, to consider others more important than ourselves. Jesus says it this way as He's speaking to the disciples. Because He knows that the way the world works is it's about me first. But Jesus says, whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came to be served. No. Even the Son of Man, what? Came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus set the ultimate pattern for us. We are to be servants. Selfless servants. That is an important characteristic. May I say it may be one of the greatest ways that we can prepare ourselves to be used greatly by God is we discipline ourselves to serve others selflessly. Back to our story, verse 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. Because remember, he's figured out it's the Lord talking, calling to Samuel. Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. The fourth Striking characteristic I see of Samuel here is that Samuel has a willing heart. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Eli had realized that it was the Lord calling, and so Eli gave some excellent advice. He says, when the Lord calls, the way you need to answer the Lord is speak, Lord, because your servant hears. And the key word in all of that is that little word, servant. Because what that little word means is, I am at your service. Whatever you want, I want. That's what a servant does. The servant doesn't say no or I'll think about it. A servant says yes. Let's be honest. Most of us, I imagine, when we think God wants us to do something, We want to know what it is before we say yes. If God is trying to get your attention, we want to know, okay, let me have all the details here and I'll let you know if I want to be a part of that. I want you to go be a missionary to Botswana. I can't even pronounce it. I don't know where it is. can't spell it. Um, How about Hawaii, God? Do you need missionaries in Hawaii? You know, I want you to go be a friend to Billy Bob. Oh, n- really? No, I don't think so. You know, he's a loser. He stinks, you know. <laughs> go show some love of Christ to your next door neighbor. Oh, no, no, no. You know, every fall he lets all his leaves blow into my yard. And he lets his dog come over and poop in my yard, you know. No, last thing I want to do is be, you know, no. Can I show my love, you know, Christ's love to that neighbor? We all have, we like to bargain with God. 
say, well, no, not, not that, Lord, but how about this? But that's not Samuel's attitude here. It's speak, God. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Whatever you want, I want. Absolutely a critical characteristic in someone that God is going to use greatly. Verse 11. Then the Lord came to Samuel. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare that to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Last week in chapter 2, Pastor Aaron led us as we saw Eli get the same message in more detail from an unnamed prophet. And we saw that what the at issue was that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, served as priests in the temple, in the tabernacle there. And they stole from the worshipers who came to worship by extorting from them more than they were told in God's Word that they should give to the priests. There was a portion they were supposed to give to the priests. These guys extorted and they took by force more than they were allowed. Not only did they rob from the people, Hophni and Phinehas were robbing from God because a portion of the sacrifice was to be put on the altar and burned up. They took a part of it before it went to the altar and they kept it for themselves. They were robbing from God. And if that wasn't enough, they were committing sexual immorality with the women who volunteered and served there in the tabernacle. And God said, I've had it. I am bringing judgment upon them. Because Eli, you're allowing, you're allowing all this to go on. Eli was their father and their boss. He didn't like their behavior, and he did tell them that once we saw last week. But he never put a stop to it. And Eli himself even got fat and prosperous off of his son's illicit prophets. That was the background here to this. And now God is telling Samuel, it's too late to turn back. This will happen. Now, notice that God pronounces judgment on Eli and his household here. But did you notice it's not on Samuel? And that's significant because ever since Samuel was three or four years old, Samuel has lived as part of this family. Eli is his adopted father. Eli calls him in this, earlier in this, he calls him son. Hophni and Phinehas are his adopted brothers. Eli has eaten meals with them. He's lived with them. He's done their chores. He has learned much about the temple and the service there in the tabernacle. He's learned about the Word of God through these men. Why doesn't God judge Samuel along with his adopted family? 
And the answer is quite simple. Because Samuel lives, instead of a life of corruption like those guys, Samuel lives a life of purity. Samuel lived and he grew up here in this spiritually broken home. He lived in this dysfunctional family, in this spiritually dysfunctional family. But Samuel does not become like them. Samuel followed God rather than following his surroundings. Samuel did not adopt the corruption of Hophni and Phinehas. And Samuel did not adopt the complacency of Eli. Sadly, by the way, aside from Samuel's birth parents and some others like them, most of the people in the whole country at that time were pretty much like Eli's sons. They were religious but ungodly. They were corrupt. But Samuel refused to be defined by his culture and he refused to be defined by his family. And he chose to pattern himself after God's Word rather than patterning himself after his surroundings. May I say that that is to be true of us. It's what God calls for us to do. Whatever your family life is like, Whatever your, the people around you are like at school, whatever they're, around, they're like around you at work, whatever our culture is like, the Word of God calls for us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. God wants us to be renewed by the truth of His Word. To have our minds renewed so that we evaluate our conduct not by what is around us, but by what God says. And then we are able to understand what it is to please God, what it is to live rightly. And we discover His good and pleasing and perfect will. Verse 15, Samuel lay down till morning and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Samuel said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he, speaking of God, told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. And so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it's Eli, said, it is the Lord. Let him do what it seems good to him. After God spoke to Samuel, it says Samuel lay there. doesn't say he went to sleep. I don't think he did. I don't think he could. I don't think any of us could if we were woken up those three times and we discover it's the Lord talking and, and God talks to us. I think we'd be there the rest of, the, of you know, however many hours it was till dawn. Thinking, God, just talk to me. Wow. But also there was that message and it was, this was bad news for Eli. 
And I'm sure that part of what's running through Samuel's mind is, how do I tell Samuel this? Maybe I don't. Let's just pretend it doesn't happen. What I'm going to do is just pretend it didn't happen. Unless Eli asks. He doesn't want to be the bearer of bad news. But of course we know that Eli knew that God talked to Samuel. And so Eli says, tell me. He pressures Samuel. You tell me. What did God say? You don't leave anything out. And so Samuel does. He tells Eli everything. He leaves nothing out. I think this was likely his very first test of being a prophet, of being a spokesman for God. Will you speak the truth? Will you tell it all? And Samuel does. He, he is a faithful messenger. See, God is looking... When he's looking for people to use greatly, he's looking for people who will be faithful messengers. People who will speak God's truth, not just what people want to hear. What a terrible thing it is to only tell people what they want to hear instead of speaking truth. What a disastrous thing that would be for an oncologist to only tell people what they want to hear. Oh, you're fine. You don't have cancer. But they do. (laughs) And the whole job of the oncologist is to say, you have cancer. But look, there's treatment. There's help. We can do this and we can do this and we can do this. You and I, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, we have been charged with being messengers. Jesus, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will be my witnesses. God has given us the job of being witnesses. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. The appeal, the verse goes on to say, is one of reconciliation, that God is reconciling, bringing men to Himself through Jesus. The only way that people will hear the message of Jesus Christ, the only way they will hear the good news of salvation, is if we, the followers of Jesus Christ, share that message because God has chosen to make us His mouthpieces. Those who make the appeal. We are His ambassadors on earth. God is looking for faithful ambassadors. How easy it is and how tempting it is. I'm sure it is for you because it is for me. It's tempting to be a silent Christian. An undercover believer. Just go through life. Don't make waves. Be a nice person. Be good. If I talk to people about Christ, some people are going to make fun of me. If I talk to people about Christ, some people are going to reject me. If I talk to people about Christ, some people are going to get mad. But God has called for us to be His witnesses. In Samuel, God found a faithful messenger. He desires that in you and me. 
So we should join with the Apostle Paul who told the Romans in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. That famine of the word of God is being broken through Samuel. But I'm getting ahead of myself. After hearing from God, what does Samuel do? Backing up a little bit to verse 15, what's the first thing Samuel does that night when God speaks to him and he gets up? The first thing he does says he goes and opens the doors to the tabernacle. It was his daily chores. What he did was he got up and he started doing the daily stuff. You know, open the doors, probably starts sweeping some stuff. He had some supplies to get out to get ready for the sacrifices and for all the work in the tabernacle. He went about doing the stuff he normally did. What he didn't do was he didn't call up a uh, publicity agent and make, start doing the talk show tours. He didn't write a book, My Conversation with God, and go get it published. See, self-promotion is the thing we do in our culture. It's what we're supposed to do. Promote ourselves, because if we don't, nobody else will. That's the world's plan. It's not God's plan. Look at Joseph. Look at Daniel. When God wants to promote someone, He will. Samuel, what I see, this last characteristic of Samuel, is that he has a spirit of humility. The Word of God was rare in those days. And Samuel (laughs) hears from God. But Samuel just goes back to doing what he was doing. God didn't tell him to do anything else. Samuel doesn't let, quote, success ruin him. (laughs) He doesn't let when God does something through him, he doesn't let that turn into pride. He goes back doing what he was doing. And what, what does it say in, where I just picked up in verse 19? It says, and Samuel grew. Samuel went back to just serving in the temple like he always had done. And Samuel grew. He grew from a boy to a man. And over time, what our text tells us, over time, everyone in Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, everyone came to understand that this boy, this young man, He is a prophet of God. God is going to use Samuel mightily in the years ahead. But for now, Samuel stays serving quietly in the background. But because of his character, because of these other things, it is unmistakable and it is obvious to everyone else that is a special man. He's a man of God. 
As a matter of fact, God doesn't let his words fall to the ground. When Samuel speaks for the Lord, things happen just as he said. And everybody realizes there's a prophet in the land. What's the nation going to do when there's a prophet in the land? We'll find out next week. But in the meantime, what happens to Samuel? He stays in the background. Matter of fact, so much in the background, he drops out of the picture. Here in verse 1 of chapter 4, he disappears off the page. We don't see him again till chapter 7, and it is over 20 years later before we see Samuel again. The people that God uses greatly don't seek out the limelight. They don't seek out the spotlight. They simply aspire to be godly and to be faithful wherever they are. And God will move them wherever He wants them to be and exalt them as He desires. By the way, that was in His mother's song. I don't have time to go back there. I wanted to this morning. Mother's song said, as she sung at his, uh, when He was... Uh, born, when she left him at the temple, she said, God exalts the humble and he brings the proud down low. And God does that with her son. We've witnessed here the beginnings of a great man, seven characteristics that are essential to being used greatly by God. Great things for us to aspire to. But there's one other lesson I just have to note this morning because in the midst of this chapter there is also a tragedy. The tragedy is with the man who should have been the great spiritual leader of Israel, the high priest, Eli. Eli appears to be a sincere man. Eli appears to be a very nice and likable, grandfatherly character here in the text. I think we all go, I like Eli. He's nice. He genuinely was fond of Samuel and I think genuinely tried to teach Samuel the Word of God correctly. And we noticed that he gave Samuel some great advice. When God speaks, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The problem is, Eli didn't follow his own advice. He said, Eli, when God speaks, you listen and you make yourself his servant. God has now spoken, we saw last week and this week, spoken twice to Eli. The first time when the prophet came last week and he said, your sons are sinning grievously and I'm going to judge you and them and your family. And Eli's response was complacency. We don't know how much time has gone by from that time till now. My guess is it's been years. And Eli has done nothing about the problem. Now God sends word again through Samuel. This is awful. And I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And there is no turning back now. And what is Samuel's words? It is, well... That's bad, God, but you do what you want. See, the great tragedy here is Eli believes God. He believes God is there. He believes God has spoken. He believes God is just and God is going to judge this sin in his family. He believes that God will bring it about. And yet he does absolutely nothing. 
And I think Eli believes he is a sincere man. The book of James says he's deceived. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes his way at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who does or who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, I think Eli had a chance to turn this around. And he didn't. Even now, if it's too late to stop the judgment, still out of love for God, if he really loves and honors God, out of love for God, he says, say, God, what we have done is wrong What I have done is evil. We're going to fix this right now. And he does nothing. He just says, okay, God, you do what you need to do. And if I don't miss my guess, I I think it's years from this time till God brings the judgment upon them. And Eli does nothing. But before we're too hard on Eli, again, I have to look in the mirror. Because you see, I fall so easily into that same thing. I slide into complacency. I read what God wants me to do, and I don't do it. Do you ever do that? Quite a bit, don't we? Let's pray. Father, this morning we've seen here in the mirror some truths that are important. Most of us, I think, desire to be to be faithful to You. We desire to be used by You to bring honor to You. And what we see here is a template of characteristics that we need, how we should aspire to these, desire to be these things. May that be true in each of us. May You help us to grow these characteristics in us. What we also see here in this text is a warning that a sincere man can fail miserably because he's complacent. He knows the truth and doesn't do it. And Father, the reality is, is most of us from time to time, and some of us continually live that way. We know what is right, and we just choose to ignore it. Forgive us of that and change that in us, Lord. For we desire to honor You. So Father, make this, these things true in us. For Jesus' sake and for our own good.